Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. Hello and welcome to Book Cheat, the book club podcast where I've read the book so you don't have to. My name is Everyone Key and I'm sitting here with the beatbox master himself, Mr. Alistair Trumbly Birchall. Flippity flip flip. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, his uh, comedy partner in crime slash, I imagine, sweet backup dancer, it's Andy Matthews. Flippity flip flip, hello. <laughs> hello. It's good to be here. It's <laughs> great to have an opportunity to show all aspects of my personality and the art that I love to yeah, make. Your skill set, mm. you're on display. You, how many threats are you? You up to quadruple, would you say? Um, you know, Bernie Sanders is considering banning people with this many threats as I do. <laughs> Let's just say if threats was dollars, <laughs> yeah. um, I'd be uh, I'd be encouraging Mike Bloomberg to make a run for the presidency. <laughs> We're gonna tax the rich and stop Alvin beatboxing. <laughs> They're two great policies. I reckon you'll get in. Mm, now mm. take some of your strip some of your threats. God, give them to the poor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, thank you for joining me on this show where it's a book club podcast, basically, where I've read the book so you don't have to. I didn't say the little tagline that I've said every week, so just in case there's uh, fans of of that tagline listening, that is what this show is. Any tag hags out there. (laughs) We we appreciate you uh, tuning in every week and um, making sure that the tags are up to date. Uh, Thank you so much for joining me again. This is the second episode in a row. We're back. In black, and we mm. are going to tackle part two of Lolita today. Mm. Inappropriate. Mm. <laughs> oh, it is Euro- inappropriate. European vacation? Yes. Yes. No. Oh, no. Actually, I'm so sorry. I don't know it's, why I got the impression a, they went a, to Europe. It's an American vacation. Oh, well. Visit many, <clears throat> The many... Europe of the West. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've never heard that, but I like But I mean, yeah, I think right. many people consider North America the Europe of sort of the Americas. Mm. Is that mostly Americans? Yeah, I mean, well, it's mostly, you know, it's that's where, I guess that South America was invaded by Europeans as well. So anyway, look, it's all Europe everywhere. Yeah, everywhere mm-hmm. is. They invaded it all. Mm. Uh, so how's it been going since we put out uh, Lolita part one mm. a couple of weeks ago now? The yeah. previous episode. I'm... And we were worried, let's be honest, when we first started recording the episode. Mm-hmm. I know I personally was. Mm-hmm. Because there, if you haven't heard the episode, there are some uh, some themes of a an old man uh, taking advantage of a very young girl. Inappropriate. Very mm. inappropriately. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I, uh, uh, it's come to my attention that some things that I said on the podcast may have made it seem like I was coming out with a pro Humbert <laughs> stance. Is that mainly when you came out and said you are pro Humbert? <laughs> no, I I I don't I don't think I. 
did say that. No. I, well, I, I think in my in my clumsy way, oh, I was trying to say I was I was going to take a pro Lolita stance, meaning that I was pro the book because I didn't want to be one of those people who's like, oh no, art can't address difficult themes. But mm. in I'm I'm no Nabokov. I don't have his way with words, <laughs> and so I I didn't I didn't perhaps surmise it, you know, in, 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 as, as think, well as perhaps I could. I think could. what Andy's trying to say is that he's on the fence. About exactly, Humbert. that's yes, right. I think there are good it. arguments on both sides. But <laughs> <laughs> just try and make one of those arguments in Russian. Yeah. Will that help? That's Will true. That help? It'll come out more beautiful. Probably. Yeah. yeah. And more coherent, no <laughs> doubt. <laughs> yes. Well, I didn't think you were very, you were too pro. Thanks. Humbert, in any way, you were playing a character in a way, and you still even, you didn't even go, I feel like... <laughs> You could have gone very pro Humbert Correct. for comedic effect and uh, copped a lot more. So I thought absolutely fine. I think the feedback's been very good. Thank you to mm. everyone that tweeted in saying that we did okay. Yeah, I think the only bad feedback I had was that uh, about my definition of tw- uh, about 12-year-olds that I said that they were teens. Mm. You know, but I think that's fair enough. I think I think... This is this is a thing that we as a society need to sort out whether or not eleven and twelve are part of the teens. Mm. Because <laughs> oh, here we go, Humbert's back. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> I just mean, I mean from if a you're new... old enough to pour a glass of milk. <laughs> I'm not talking about ages. I'm just talking about numerically here. See, yeah. you see how words are hard. <laughs> I Forget know. it. Well, I'm going to be tw- silent for the rest. Eleven of this and twelve are like the tomatoes of the teen world. You know? Go on. <laughs> yeah, I need more clarification you know? here. You know that tomatoes, they're a vegetable, right? Really, from an economic point of view, they're a vegetable. Mm. They hang out with the vegetables. Mm-hmm. You use them in you savory You cook them cooking, like a vegetable. Right? But technically, they're a fruit. You but know? It- Younger, kind of softer. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Uh, you know, the, and they hang out with Forbidden. Fruit. Forbidden. <laughs> um and so while 11 and 12 are mm. children, they kind of, from a, from another point of view, they kind of could be 13. But I also, like, <laughs> they're not 13, but the teens. But also, I don't think that that means anything about, like, I think that the legal age for being with a, a child should be 30. <laughs> All right? And so I want you to know that I do not date so I, anybody. I'm still technically illegal. <laughs> you are illegal to me. And I, that's no, why. No, that's, that's only the legal age for a child. Yeah. <laughs> a child has to be over 30, but you're not a child, so you're okay. Well, my bank would argue with that because it's taking me... Uh, I've complained... Still on your Dolomite account? <laughs> well, <laughs> I did start with the Dolomite account, still with the ComBank. That's a dodgy practice. But anyway, um, I am I still have master written on all my uh, debit and credit cards, mm. despite the fact that when you're 18, you're supposed to become a mister. And I've addressed this many times. I've tried to get the cards reissued. And they they say, sure thing, Mr. Warner. You know, every time master turns up in the mail. So yeah. I, it, it, according to the bank, well, I am a child. Is it? Are you thinking that at one point that you'll you'll be issued a mister card? I'm <laughs> waiting for a mister card. And the, the credit card just ran out last month. Those things last three years. New one came out. I'm still master. I think David is just receiving master cards and is confused. <laughs> <laughs> and then <laughs> I Are never you, come on, you guys. Oh. I never have this problem with Visa. <laughs> oh, it's embarrassing to say the least. Um, but someone, that... 
I think the Dolomite accounts really are the financial equivalent of grooming, aren't they, in a way? Like, that's the bank grooming you, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, so for people overseas, basically we have this system. I st- still think it still runs here in Australia. Yeah. One of our big four banks, uh, the Commonwealth Bank, which is the biggest of all all of the four banks. and um, They run a program in schools? In primary schools, they come to you in prep when you're five years old and they issue a free bank account and give you this little uh, fun sort of... Uh, Checkbook? Checkbook or? covered in cartoon characters yeah. and try and make it fun to save. But also, 24 years later, I am still I still have that same bank account. It's just yeah. a way of keeping kids in the mm. system. It should be more like a religion where your parents indoctrinate you mm. into whatever bank they're into. Yes. Agreed. Or if your parents are, you know, a banker. You have no bank, and you keep, and they teach you how to where to hide your money in your in your house, yeah, which is in your sock drawer in a sock. Oh no! Don't give away your secret spot. Hey, oh, that's everybody's he- secret. <laughs> he spot. He didn't tell you which sock drawer. <laughs> oh, <thank laughs> yeah. Al has so many sock drawers. <laughs> I think it's not his sock drawer. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's I someone keep... else's. No one would ever. Suspect and it's not that. his house. No. <laughs> I keep a bit in my wind sock drawer. <laughs> oh. oh no! Oh no! <laughs> That's okay. It's a near the airport. Can I just congratulate you on the word a bankle? A bankle. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry, everyone. Well, I'm I'm still annoyed. So someone did call you out on saying that you know twelve's teen. You know, it was it was a real light calling out. But I'm still here and I'm still going. My career is fine so far. You weren't cancelled because of that controversial statement. Well, I don't know. I think I don't think these things are instantaneous, and I think you got to go viral. You know, sometimes you know if you cancel somebody. Everybody's got to find out. So you have to go, you have to, if you're going to cancel somebody, you also got to go viral, mm. you know? Because if I canceled you today, mm-hmm. 200 people tops would know. Oh, no. Like that. And the word might not spread because they might not even think, they go, well, there was only 30, like, you know, uh, maybe 30 likes on it. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. and so, you know, uh, if I am canceled, the effects might not, you know, uh, take effect until it's really spread until so you cut this bit out <laughs> <laughs> I think we should have less cancelling and more counselling is that mm. anything that's that's something yeah that sounds like words. how about a bit of council culture <laughs> local council I'm talking get those bins in people <laughs> pay your rates <laughs> yeah. green bins should be weekly they should Why they should Especially and there should the... be compost there should be a you know a Local council compost bin, brown bin. Uh, my green bin takes food scraps. Really? Yeah, that's wow. good. <laughs> I mean, should we start a podcast called Council Culture? Mm. <laughs> Is that a thing? <laughs> I think it would be very exciting. I think you've definitely got time to be taking on more podcasts. I think so. And people write in with their council-based uh, quandaries, <laughs> queries, and complaints, and we address them. But we'll <laughs> take any council. It's a. It'll be a local mm-hmm. council, but anywhere in the world. Yeah, anywhere's so local Vladivostok, council. Yeah. Rio de Janeiro. <laughs> you got a problem with your council? Don't worry, we'll Google translate it, and then yeah. we'll send a sternly worded letter to your mayor. We'll we'll read up on it. We'll figure out how can you apply for a second bin if your bin has been stolen. In Riyadh. Yeah. I actually want to know that because I went two years without a bin at my last apartment. Wow. I put, my, I put my rubbish in someone else's bin every week and, you had and to, no one called me out on it. And you had to sneak out at night? Every week, yes. And, and yes. hide it? Mm-hmm. There was a while where we didn't have a bin and Andy was driving around and putting it in, <laughs> in other people's bins. That's true. I went to some pretty distant suburbs. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, that's very sad for some reason. Mm, it was one of the best times of my life for not owning a car. Mm. Yep. <laughs> anyway, Pretty that, proud of those times. Anyway, if you want to hear more about that, that's on Council Culture. Council, that's a, coming, that'll be a weekly podcast. Coming to an app to you soon, I reckon. An app near you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, an app. <laughs> That's it. The idea is <laughs> I was going to commit, but that ruined it. I ruined it. My plug sucked. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. Sorry, tag hags. <laughs> Sorry, tag hags. Canc- council culture has been cancelled. Cancel <laughs> they got me. They got to me. Can you tell we are putting off this Batu of Lolita? <laughs> now, if you haven't listened to last week's episode, I strongly suggest you do. Um, to make yes. sense of it, I'm going to do. I'm about to do a previously to get us to remind us what we talked about. Yes, a couple of weeks ago. But to really get into the spirit of things, I mm-hmm. imagine it's best if you hear the first part first. Mm-hmm. Previously on book cheat. Oh, I love that. Mm. I might take that forever and use it. Can you? Sure. Can we? Can you do that again, Andy? Previously <laughs> on <laughs> book cheat. <laughs> book cheat. Damn, that's good. Thank you so much. Uh, well, previously on Book Cheat, as you said, uh, on Lolita last week, part one of Lolita, part one of Lolita <laughs> began with a four-word. I, re- I listened back to myself. I was saying forward ro- weirdly. You were saying forward. Yeah. But, I mean, that's, that's okay. Yeah, but th- you said something and I, I only when I listened back, I thought, I, I'm doing it wrong. Thank you. I'm better now. Oh, but I know, but look, I I'm just here want, to help. I just want you to know that I felt like yours was a much more efficient way of saying it. Forward. 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 I think it could absolutely be forward. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Well, part one of Lita began with a forward or a forward, uh, written by a fictional doctor saying that the account we are about to hear was sent to him by a man using the pseudonym Humbert Humbert. Hmm. Uh, it's an account of his life written whilst on trial for murder, but he died before he was convicted. We're not sure who he killed, though. So that's mm. the foreword. The rest of the book is written from Hummert's perspective, who is a middle-aged man, and it's all about his obsession with a young girl called Lolita. He was born in Paris. As a child, he fell in love with a girl named Annabelle. She died, and he thinks this is why throughout the rest of his life he has been attracted to young girls, or as he calls them, nymphettes. Girls of between the ages of 10 and 14. He had a fake marriage that fell apart, had a couple of mental breakdowns. He moved to America where by chance he moved into a house as a lodger for widower Charlotte Hayes and her daughter Dolores Hayes, a.k.a. Lolita, the 12-year-old girl that the narrator fell in love with. He only stayed in the house to be close to the young girl and when her mother dies whilst away at summer camp, remember she tripped over in concrete and then uh, was Mm. run over by a car... Humbert <laughs> slipped on wet concrete. Yeah. <laughs> Humbert uh, picks Lolita up from camp and takes her away, telling her that her mother is in hospital and she can't visit her for a while. At a hotel, Humbert is approached by a mysterious man making inquiries about Lolita and where he got her. They have a weird conversation before parting ways without Humbert ever properly seeing this mysterious man's face. Hmm. Finally, Humbert claims that whilst at a hotel, Lolita came onto him. She made the first move, first advance, and they had sex. Remember, she's very, very young. He is forever addressing us as some sort of jury, justifying his illegal actions. Soon after, he admitted to Lolita that her mother had died, and part one ends with them fighting but making up because, quote, you see, she had absolutely nowhere else to go. 
So that's where we're at. Damn. Yeah. That You're is part right. one. You know what? I've, I've, do you ever? Do people ever put in theories of what's going to happen? I love theories. Yes, please. Mm-hmm. What do you reckon? You know how he's got a pseudonym and he's going under Humbert Humbert. Mm. Maybe that doctor in the forward. <sighs> that was him. That's him as well. Okay. Really interesting. <laughs> under his other pseudonym, I re- Doctor. <laughs> doctor Humbert Humbert. <laughs> I have a, a theory that they're in a computer game. So, <gasps> anyway. That's cool. But yeah. now we got to find out who the guy who wrote the computer game is and what the f- fuck is wrong with him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The doctor programmed the yeah. computer game. All right. The opening line of part two is, quote, It was then that began our extensive travels all over the States. To any other type of tourist accommodation, I soon grew to prefer to functional motel. Clean, neat, safe nooks. Ideal places for sleep, argument, reconciliation, insatiable, illicit love, end quote. You're right. Inappropriate. (laughs) So if you haven't heard last week, Al was telling us every time something was inappropriate. So Mm. we appreciate that because otherwise we don't know. Well, you know, sometimes uh, the writer, you know, leaves it hanging for you, doesn't make a moral judgment. Mm. And uh, sometimes people, when they are left to their own devices to make that moral judgment, they might make the wrong judgment. I think you should reissue like a sort of a remix of Lolita mm. where you have dr- you just add in the word inappropriate at the end of most paragraphs. Well, yeah. I mean, because what was that <laughs> illicit pleasure at the end there? Mm. He said inappropriate illicit pleasure. There we go. There See? you go. And, uh, All it took was it would have taken was a few adjectives, uh, Nabokov. Well, my mum was a career librarian. and Korean they to... librarian. <laughs> career librarian. Bit oh, of so, respect, please. So just in Korea? Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, and they had used to have a, a problem where there was someone, and they couldn't really work out who it was, would get the books and uh, spend a lot of time crossing out all of the swear words <gasps> and then returning the book. Mm. They couldn't figure out who it was. Well, so I think sometimes they would do it inside the library so it yeah, wouldn't be on right. their account. Mm-hmm. Cross out the swear words and put it back. It's, uh... I bet you it was somebody who borrowed a lot of books. Yeah. Though. <laughs> Someone doing God's work. God. Yeah, do you think it could have been God? <laughs> yeah, I think it was God. That's why they couldn't get it. <gasps> Imagine couldn't if get we it. found out it was God's fourth form. <laughs> you know, he was like, yes. he, was, he was Jesus, the Holy Ghost, he was God. And then he was like this little old lady with a pen. <laughs> Crossing out swear words mm. and writing inappropriate in the margin. Inappropriate. The holy quadrinity. Yeah. <laughs> Dave liked that. Thanks. <laughs> no, I, mean, I don't really know what it was. But... No, it was good. It was a lot. Thank you. I mean, well, I was the one who was introducing the idea. Well, Al, Al is a quadruple threat and apparently so is God. Yes. Quadrillion mm, threat. That sounds You'll good. never get me, Bernie. Feel this burn. <laughs> and I tap dance. <laughs> Now, a lot happens in part two. That opening paragraph I just read does say a lot. They travel all over the US for one year. Mm. Humbert goes... Basically sort of on the run, sort of. Yes, moving from motel to motel. And no one cottons on. Yeah, so a couple of days here. Sometimes they rent two rooms next door to each other so it doesn't look as suspicious as an old man with a young girl. But he's posing as her father all this time. Uh, He goes into a lot of details about each of the motels and places they stay. They continue their sexual relationship, although Lolita can be, quote, bratty at times. 
and challenges Humbert, who controls her by either threatening to send her to an orphanage, telling her that if she told on him, she would go to juvenile detention as well, or sucking up to her by plying her with souvenirs, candies, and Hollywood films. How does he have all this disposable income? Well, he, yeah. at, at, well we in, in part one, he did uh, receive uh, an inheritance. Oh, yeah. Mm. That's, and that's why he moved to America in the first place. That was the deal with his uncle. Oh, so yeah. if you, if you moved he to was America, supposed to be running a business in yes, America, Yes, but he never really he? did that. No, he just came over, t- got the money, and he does sort of run low on money a couple of times in this. So he does he's spending oh. all the money he's got. The business could be one of those places where it's like, you know, on the side of the road, it's like, oh, we got potatoes, just leave some money. <laughs> so maybe he put out all the potato- p- potatoes <laughs> and then went on a year-long road trip and he gets back. Came back. It's so an honesty system. Yeah. <laughs> 60 grand under yeah. a bush. Yeah. And it, uh, what, just... Just a pile of a year's worth of potatoes just yeah. there. Maybe in one of those things like that you have for dispensing cat food when you're not at home yeah. or something like that. Yeah. All the townsfolk gathered around waiting for four or five potatoes to drop out so they can enthusiastically put the money in. Or you have to put them in some the sort jar. of like a skill testing machine. So you have to mm. earn the potato. That's right. Or the yeah. tomato, nature's teenager. Nature's t- the, the numerical teenager. <laughs> <laughs> but so the potato that you get, you know, you think a, a, a sweet potato is a sweet potato, but mm. the potato that you get with a skill tester, that's the oh. sweetest <laughs> potato of all. <laughs> that yam. Well, he doesn't like her socialising with other kids, especially boys her age. He's quite jealous of that. He's also a bit paranoid about people finding out about her or her leaving him, and he's annoyed when she talks to others. They fight a lot. But Humbert still tries to justify their relationship to the reader. Yeah. Keeps going on about that. Uh, he also seems to regret the way they travelled, only hitting touristy spots, and feels in the book he hasn't done he hasn't done the USA justice. And I guess if you could be ashamed of one thing in the book, it would certainly be that. Mm, can I say inappropriate? <laughs> That's not a good way to travel. No, it's not. He describes it as quote, We had been everywhere, we had really seen nothing. Quite. Don't use this as a, you know, a classic guide to America in the fifties. Yeah, I mean, it's you, you, I, I don't know how to phrase this, but like you'd think that as a pervert, mm. he's kind of living his best life, like that he still feels like he's missing out on <laughs> tourism, like on on real classy mm. sightseeing yeah. or something. Yeah. I don't know. Um, that was a that was a great pro Humbert com- uh, comment. Thank you. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It, was, it wasn't I'm supposed joking, to I'm be. Just joking, I'm just joking. <laughs> um, look, he ha- he clearly has a moral compass um, for tourism. Yeah, but it's for tourism. So, <laughs> and he has a mo- model. Uh, he, he also has a moral street atlas and a moral uh, must yes. top fifty must see sites of the American Midwest yes. pamphlet yeah. and. <laughs> Well, why couldn't I get a 100? Yeah. It's true. <laughs> so that, I just found that was quite, quite a bizarre thing. He, and he really wants to justify that to the reader. This is not, this is not, the, this is not the way you should travel. No. Well, he, he, look, he really wants us, the reader, to like him. Mm. And so he understands that he's kind of trying to please this, um, this young girl, you know, in terms of like, yeah, you, you, know, you see all the sights of that country, you know, you live in and you like. Right? I guess so. Because she, she's not well-read, probably. No. You know, so she knows the main attractions. You know, uh, what's that big hole in the ground? The statue with the green statue. Yep, great. <laughs> um, the, the big two. 
the big two, and then what, like Venice Beach, <laughs> Muscle Beach, yeah, Muscle Beach. Yeah, I don't know why. Like, um, I mean, I, I guess if he was visiting very cultured sorts of places with her, she'd be bored and more likely to leave. Is that kind of the point? I think it's more, to, yeah, you know, and they spend so much time in these hotels anyway. Mm. They don't really okay mm. see too much, but also. When you're doing a trip like that, you always think that you want to go see all the more cultured stuff, but really where the action is at, you know, is at the the main attractions. Venice you, Beach. You're going to feel bad if you don't go and see that main stuff. If instead you just went and saw the old Amity Horror House or whatever. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. the one thing you wish you'd seen. <laughs> but also, like, this is in the 50s, right? Mm. And it feels like to me, I mean, he wouldn't have known this because he was in the 50s, but the 50s... Americana stuff is kind of super iconic to this day, right? Like, like that's that's a real moment in time. Mm. Like you wouldn't have known it because it was it was just everything at the time. But like everything there is is sort of classic American stuff that now you'd be like, oh, let's go and have this fifties experience in a diner or something. Mm. But that's everywhere. He's like, ugh, Elvis, boring. Exactly. He's like a fish who's in water but doesn't realize that there's water. You know, that's it. He's a fish. Is he a fish? Wait, oh, the, uh, we yeah, cracked yeah, it. Is he a fish? I mean, do you want to spoil the rest of the book here? <laughs> yeah, he's a doctor fish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, eventually they get bored of this travel after a year, and they uh, they settle down in the town of Beardsley, which is actually where Lolita was born. Okay. Not so many years ago. Thirteen years ago. Inappropriate, Dave. <laughs> uh, Humbert takes up a job teaching. He's running out of money here at the women's college, and Lolita goes to the that local. Seems risky. <laughs> Don't worry, he's not into just anyone. Oh, mm. These these are a- a older women. Oh, okay. At college, sure, sure, sure. And Lolita goes to the local girls' school. So, uh, you know, they try and form somewhat of a normal life. It's very, very rude. But just to really show that things are definitely not okay, Lolita cries every night whilst Humbert pretends to be asleep. So it's certainly not a healthy situation. So there's not even any emotional support. No. Now they move into a house in Beardsley that overlooks a park, and Humbert hopes to watch the nymphettes, the locals, uh, local schoolgirls, with binoculars. But his plan is soon ruined when construction starts up and blocks his view. Sucked in. Why? So he's still just perving on everyone and stuff. He's yeah. like, oh man. Jeez. Can I say wait? Inappropriate. <laughs> yeah, thank yeah. you so much. But great move on that construction. What good timing. Great that's, timing. that's something they don't. They don't ever tell you about um, construction. Mm. You know, a lot of people complaining about construction, mm-hmm. overdevelopment, that sort of thing. Yeah, we get a lot of letters on our podcast. Council right. culture. Yeah, <laughs> we do. We do. I was thinking, do go on. <laughs> um, but what they don't tell you about, every building that goes up, that's a new, that's a pervert sightline broken. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. And I would put that in the planning application mm-hmm. when I'm trying to get my new 90-storey building in next to the botanical gardens. <laughs> what you don't realise is that a lot of pervs won't be able to see the gardens anymore. <laughs> Unless, of course, they're in our 90-storey building, in which case they'll have a great view. But with any luck, someone will put an even taller building in front of that soon. We will. We're hoping to just put walls, random walls up in random places. <laughs> Middles of roads, up in the sky. <laughs> no more windows. <laughs> no more, yeah. Oh, man. That'd be perfect if you're in the brick industry. Oh, let's try and get that up. Yeah, bricks. <laughs> the new glass. Bricks. All right, David, well, moving on. Their relationship, if you can call it that, 
gets even worse and the leader starts demanding money for sex, which Humbert pays only to later steal back. Right. Inappropriate. 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 Um, uh, he also tries to control every aspect of her life, making rules to stop her from interacting with local young men. He becomes, in a weird way, like a protective father. Lolita's headmistress comes over to Humbert's house to discuss the girl's poor grades, and the teacher advises Humbert that it would be healthy for her to start dating boys without saying so. She means her own age. <laughs> and wait, wait, wait. Does she know? Does the teacher know? No, no. She just thinks Humbert's her dad. Wait, so... Mm. But the teacher has come around and said she's getting bad marks. Mm-hmm. What she needs is boys. I think she's saying she's acting up in school. Maybe let her, maybe give her a bit more uh, I don't know, independence or something like that. Mm. She also yeah. says she should be allowed to perform in the school play, which is called The Enchanted Hunters. So that's mm. the two things. He eventually consents to letting her be in the play. That's the first bit of consent in this fucking movie. <laughs> yeah, in this that's book. Right. Damn right. Uh, in the play, Lolita plays a farmer's daughter, and even though he can't be bothered to actually read the play, Humbert does notice that the title of the play is the same as the hotel where Lolita and him first had sex. Is that just a coincidence? Mm. I ask you. Uh, I would say it is. Yeah, I yeah. would too, and I'd say there's too many coincidences yeah. in part two of this book. That really set you off in part one. Oh, did I absolutely. It was fuming. <laughs> um, that, look... <laughs> I don't think I don't think it's a a coincidence. I think it's a clue, and I think it's exactly the kind of clue that you would put in if you were designing a computer game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think, mm-hmm. like, I mean, you know, you you look for those little things. Like, oh, that's the same name as this here, and then you gl- did, did it say anything about the book kind of glowing? The the because you know that's another sign that it's a clue in a computer can, game. You can oh. maybe interact with it. Or yeah, something. <laughs> right. And was there a waterfall that you could walk through, and there was exactly. something behind? Yeah, the waterfall. a Batmobile or some <laughs> armor, <laughs> extra armor. If you kill someone, do they just leave a full roast chicken behind on the ground? <laughs> Is that a game you played? No, I think it was something we were talking about earlier today. Possibly on a podcast. I don't know. My I life has it. become a blur. I, love I think it. it might happen in Metal Gear Solid yeah. or something. <clears throat> wow. I gotta play me some Metal Gear Solid. Uh, one day Humbert finds out she's been lying to him about attending piano lessons. She hasn't been going at all. The two of them have a huge fight where Lolita accuses him of a number of crimes, some of which are true, others are not so true. Oh, he shouldn't lie. <laughs> Inappropriate? Inappropriate. The fight is so loud that a neighbour comes by to check on the commotion and Lolita runs away. Humbert goes out looking for her and eventually finds her in a telephone booth on the phone to someone. She breaks down and admits that she doesn't like Beardsley, the town where they're living, and wants to leave, and Humbert agrees that they can go anywhere she wants. As they leave town, a local woman comments how sad it is that Lolita had to leave before performing in the school play. The woman says, quote, You should have heard the author raving about her after the rehearsal. End the quote. author? The author. Hmm. hmm. It's very interesting. And the way that you're shifting your eyes like that. <laughs> Trying to create something here. They drive away and Humbert asks about this playwright and says, what, what's going on there? And asks about her name. And Alita says, oh, it's just some old woman, Claire or something, I guess. End quote. Mm. What was her name of her mother? Oh, Charlotte was her mother. Charlotte. Mm. Oh. And if you rearrange the letters <laughs> in Charlotte, you get Claire or something. <laughs> Claire Ott. Claire Hot. Yeah. Claire Hot. Got to use that H somewhere. Yeah. Uh, Humbert 
replies how funny it is that Lolita was so obsessed with the play, but happily gave it up a week before she was about to perform in it. Anyway. Is it it funny? Is it funny? Funny ha-ha? No, I think think more like, oh, it's a bit weird. Oh, you're right. Anyway. Forget that those two things are synonyms. synonyms. Uh, They start up another road trip, travelling from motel to motel. Humbert speculates about the fate about fate and how it led him to this point in his life and that looking back, there were clues that are now easier to identify in hindsight. Mm, but he because didn't... they were glowing. <laughs> yeah. yep. But he didn't know what that meant at the time. Yeah. What could the waterfall mean? Well, you've just got to pick up all the items and then eventually they'll come in handy. Mm. Oh. Use um, enchanted toothpick on um, l- lump of bubblegum. I find... Video games so frustrating. Mm. I get bored after about five minutes and then I just start working out ways that I can like slap other characters or something <laughs> and mess yeah. with the game. Yeah. Just like, you know, you can pull the pants down of a rabbit or something and go, oh, that's <laughs> funny. But I can't work out how to get up, how to get to the old mill that's behind a rock slide or something. I'm just going to dack all the non-player <laughs> yeah. characters. <laughs> hey, guys, you know, if you hit triangle, you dack people. That's much more fun than working out this freaking rock slide. I've clocked it on DAC mode. I've DAC'd every single one of the characters. But what could it all mean? For anybody who's not from Australia, to DAC someone means to pull down their pants. To pants them. Mm. Yeah. What else would you say? What's another? But uh, DACing, I think, specifically means... Does it, does it mean taking down the undies as well, or is it just the shorts? I think you can just... The whole can, lot. You can bring down oh, the pants I and had, shorts. I had that once in uh, high school, and very early high school, and um, I was a teen... Mm-hmm. Someone dacked me in my PE uniform. Shorts went down. Boxer shorts went down. Oh, no. Whilst I was hugging two people. Horrific. Oh. <laughs> 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 and that was the first moment that I uh, was grateful that my mum had ordered a stupidly large shirt for me. Wow. You'll grow into it. You'll grow into it, she said. <laughs> That's how mums should really yeah, <laughs> sell oh. those things. If anyone rips off your pants, <laughs> they won't be able to see your dick. Yeah. The two people you're hugging. Yeah. <laughs> There's a point in high school where I was so worried about dacking and things like that, where I was wearing a, a backup pair of underwear. No, you, seriously? <laughs> yeah, I think I was wearing boxer shorts and I was wearing like regular underwear underneath. <laughs> I was just like, look, if it comes down. That's so. actual, that's genius. Yeah. Yeah. That was a oh, backup. Imagine that. And the... a long shirt. And, and were you ever dacked? No, but I saw somebody get dacked who full, was also full. had the same <laughs> strategy Everyone two had... pairs of underwear. I couldn't believe it. And those sick, those, those silk boxer shorts. You couldn't believe time. it. In fact, you pulled down your own <laughs> pants to say, see, <laughs> save these. Have Where'd a you... crack at this. Yeah, no, but I, he looked like a loser wearing those two sets of underwear. <laughs> yeah. so I never revealed it. There's two ways to avoid daxing. One is Dacking. to dacking. One is to wear uh, the the extra pair of underpants. Mm. One is to wear no pants at all. Oh, nothing to pull brilliant! Yes, the right. best defense is attack. <laughs> <laughs> attack with nudity. <laughs> they can't pants. Anyway, he speculates. Will the will the reader notice these clues? Clues, eh? Anyway, I'm trying to build something. Wait, here, but suspense. <clears throat> wait, 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 wait. He, he says. says but uh, fate led me to that point in my life. At the time, I didn't realise, but looking back, it makes all it, it. There's all these things that sort of indicated mm. that it was all leading to something. Anyway, one one thing he did notice at the time was the leader acting suspiciously and often sneaking away for short periods. And 
I'd read the word short and imagine dacking for some reason. Mm-hmm. Shorts. Mm-hmm. I've gone dacking man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, uh, <laughs> the mad dacker. <laughs> Oh, he begins to um, suspect that she is secretly communicating with someone <clears throat> on these short trips away. One day he goes out for an extended period, and when he returns home, she has, oh, this is great. She has a strange... <laughs> Dave, <laughs> I think this book's broken you. <laughs> oh, man. She has a strange glow about her. Oh, Video games. Video game. Oh, my God. <laughs> I can't believe I got it right. Uh, Humbert just happens to mention at this point that he has a gun with him on their travels that he it used to belong to Lolita's now dead father that he stole from their house when they still lived there. But I'm sure that gun won't come back later. Because mm. no. <gasps> okay. this wasn't written by Pavlov? Check off. Check off. <laughs> Pavlov's gun is the one where if you ring a bell, you it, salivate. The, the dog drills. If you shoot a gun. <laughs> the, the dog leaks saliva. I mean, the, the gun leaks saliva. <laughs> Uh, they continue to drive on in their uh, road trip part two, and Humbert starts to really suspect that someone is following them. He gives this person a nickname. He keeps seeing the same person in the review mirror, and he refers to him as Detective Trap, whom he suspects is a detective following him in a less than inconspicuous red convertible car. He thought he was being followed because he was under investigation by the police for what he was doing with Lolita, which is illegal. Mm. And he- inappropriate. Inappropriate. He writes, anyway, it would have been too foolish for even a lunatic to to suppose another Humbert was avidly following Humbert and Humbert's nymphette. So So, sometimes sometimes he refers to himself in the third person. mm. So it would have been too foolish for even a lunatic to suppose another Humbert was avidly following Humbert. So he's calling the detective a Humbert? Yeah, Humbert. Is, Is Humbert another word for something? Like... Well, an- but another pedophile. Yeah, right? another another what he is, another uh, oh, right. attacker. As in, so he's suggesting that somebody who might be interested in Lolita. Yeah, another predator mm. is on their trail. Mm. Yeah, right. But at the time, he's like, oh, "Why would I have thought that? That's crazy. I wouldn't have thought. I wouldn't." Which is peculiar. I've written here. Humbert also has hallucination and starts to think he is imagining the whole thing. So it's a bit untrustworthy. This section. He outs himself as an unreliable narrator. Too. He writes, "Quote: Being a murderer with a sensational but incomplete, unorthodox memory, I cannot tell you, ladies and gentlemen, the exact day when I first knew with utter certainty that the red convertible was following us." Mm. And he admits to these hallucinations. So yeah. it is a bit like, oh, how much of this is actually happening? But 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 he, but then he says he is absolutely yes, sure. He's but, sure now, but at the time he was a bit like, what's going on? But again, if you're if you're if you're a loony and mm. paranoid and that sort of thing, you would become sure, even if it wasn't really following you, right? Mm. You just... But also, I guess if you're driving around every day and things like that, and you keep seeing the same red convertible behind you with a with a uh, a guy in it who looks the same. Mm. I don't know if you're loony. You're actually getting chased. Someone's trying to dack you. Someone's <laughs> going to dack you. And that, that can send you crazy. If you think you are, I mean, Al already, he created an underwear system mm-hmm. just to get out of dacking. Yeah. It's a, well, you know. <laughs> the intensity of five years of high school, any moment those pants could be ripped. Mm, best offense you. is a good defense. <laughs> it's a double underpants <laughs> situation. Uh, one day, he did see the man from the car talking to Lolita whilst Humbert went into a gas station. The man even looked a little bit like Humbert himself, but more like his cousin, Gustav Trapp, 
And that's why he later referred to him as Detective Trap when okay. talking about Ooh. this character. Looks like my cousin. Looks a bit like me. This is a bit weird. What really struck Humbert as he was in the gas station watching the leader talk to this man from the car was that the man seemed to and her seemed to speak as if they'd known each other for weeks. There was like a familiarity there. The man disappeared when Humbert got back to the car and he asked Lolita what they spoke about and she replied that she'd just given him directions. Something Humbert did not believe and he told her not to speak to what he assumed was a cop. Known them for weeks. That's an interesting level of familiarity to be mm. able to detect <laughs> yeah. in somebody's interaction. Mm. They talked as if they'd known each other for weeks. <laughs> not forever. No. <laughs> Before, for between... 12 and 18 days. <laughs> that kind of familiarity. Yeah, it is but funny. That's humble, but he's a good judge of people. It's, it's very specific. Uh, the next day, the car appeared to continue to follow them. That night, they uh, stop and see a play. The next time, uh, jumping in and out of tents here, because he does write in uh, as if it was in past tense, but I'm in the present here. They stop and see a play the next night, uh, the plot of which Humbert later struggles to recall. But he did remember thinking that the author had lifted the idea from a story by James Joyce. The author's name, he uh, he name checks, are Vivian Darkbloom and Claire Quilty. Claire. So Claire. Quilty, though. And Quilty. Quilty, Quilty was a name. Quilty was somebody from the... T- an actor... That Lolita liked in the yes. first. Yes, that's first right. Part. And Claire was a name that he's also mentioned when when he asked what's the playwright's name of her school play, and she said it's some old woman Claire or something. Yeah, right. So Ooh. now we've heard both those names, mm. but at the time he didn't make anything of it. Oh, uh, they continue on after this play, but there's a little little clue there. And Humbert thinks they're still being followed. He writes down the license plate of the red convert- convertible, but he later comes back to the note and finds that Lolita has damaged the numbers, taken a couple away, and uh, he retaliates by slapping her. Inappropriate. Thank you. This is so oh. weird. Like, he really does seem like he's becoming unhinged, right? Like, like, mm. some, like all this stuff seems like, no, she hasn't taken away some of the, num- the numbers from your notebook. Like, you're losing your connection to reality. Mm, absolutely. And <clears throat> in the first half, we remind he has been committed a couple of times. He has had... Mm. Full-on breakdowns. Yeah. Uh, he even tries to confront the man that he thinks is following them, this detective trap, but the driver speeds off. He goes up to the car and the guy drives away. Humbert starts to believe he is losing his mind and also becoming homicidal. Mm. Starts feeling the rage growing on him. He's falling apart. He gets more and more suspicious of Lolita and one day sees her playing tennis with an older man because that's one of her hobbies. Mm. She loves playing tennis. And when he inquires with other players at the club who he is, who she's playing with, they pretend they don't know, which makes him even more suspicious. Mm. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Wow. They seem to have played together for a few weeks. Yeah. <laughs> he had the forehand of somebody who looks like who's, he's been playing for roughly three to four weeks. Non-stop. The score was 803 <laughs> sets to 927. Surely they would have won by now. No, it hasn't gone to a tie break. It's no. crazy. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Uh, he becomes furious when later on at another hotel he spies an older man watching Lolita creepily by the pool and notices Lolita enjoying this man's gaze, sort of playing up for him a little bit sort of performing. He looks closely and realises that the man watching her is Detective Trap. Mm. Mm. So this guy just keeps appearing. Mm. And now Lolita has seen interact with, with the man at least twice. Still fearing he is going mad, Lolita gets very ill with a fever. So ill that he must take her to a hospital and to his uh, dismay he has to leave her overnight with the doctor. So he, she sort of goes out of his his control. His, mm. his realm of influence yeah he is fearful that she is taking the Ill- she's faking the illness to meet her secret lover that this is the theory he's forming and make sure to visit her as she recovers but discovers an envelope that probably contained a letter and is furious Ooh. about it she denies it but he's like why have you got a letter here Humbert himself gets ill with the fever but insists on picking her up from the hospital wait wait, wait where does this letter sorry so he visits her in hospital and he sees an envelope and he doesn't just take it or open it or well, something? Well, there's no letter inside the envelope. So oh, she's okay, destroyed sorry. the letter, but he's gone, what was this? And she goes, well, I don't know what you're talking about. Mm, I bet it was glowing. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you hit the button X. What's this? Yes. <laughs> uh, Humbert, he gets sick. He insists on picking her up from the hospital anyway. But when he phones the hospital to organize this, they tell him that Lolita is already gone. <gasps> Checked out. The staff tell her that she was picked up by her uncle, a certain Mr. Gustav. And that uh, he told, uh, if Humbert calls, that he should meet them at Grandpa's ranch as agreed. Right, a certain Mr. Gustav. Now, wasn't his cousin that he thought he looked like Gustav Trapp? Gustav Trapp. So why, but why why would she have been checked out by somebody called Gustav? Like, that was just a name that he made Mm. up in his mind. But maybe this person's playing with him. Sure, but how would they be playing with him? How would the person know the name Gustav from his mind? Maybe he... from Lolita. Oh, okay, all right. So there is... Okay. okay. Maybe, but this Grandpa's Ranch thing, that is just... Uh, that's absolutely... No, they've never had an agreement about that. That is just a, a phony excuse to check Lolita out mm. and say, oh, if, the, if her dad Humbert calls, just tell her we're mm. meeting at Grandpa's Ranch. I'm Mr. Gustav, the uncle. See ya. And they've passed that on and he goes, mm. damn it, she's gone. Uh, the chapter finishes with this ominous sentence. Quote, to myself I whispered that I still had my gun and was still a free man, free to trace the fugitive and free to destroy my brother. End quote. So he's losing it. So yeah. he doesn't actually have a brother called Gustav Trapp. No, he just he, that was his cousin that he grew oh, up with. Oh, his cousin. Okay. He, he, looked, he looks a little bit <clears throat> like, but this man looks more like the cousin than mm. him. He's got a rounder face, he says. And so at some point he's saying to her, it's good. You were talking to a guy who looked like my cousin, yeah, Gustav Trapp. I think he's probably referred to him as Detective Trapp to her. Mm. Right. No, that checks out. Yeah. It all makes sense. Do you think it's the guy from, from that orig- that first hotel? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Maybe. I mean, if he exists. A guy, a guy, a guy who himself is a pervert whose modus operandi seems to be to hang around hotels hoping to see another pervert who already has... <laughs> a girl, that he can steal that girl Mm. off that pervert by following them around in his car, becoming the director of a play and (laughs) at the the town where they they settle in, a play written by his mother 
and then uh, following them some more until she gets sick and he can nick her from a hospital. It's the oldest trick in the book. <laughs> Are you? It's a classic scam. Are you annoyed by the amount of coincidences um, we're experiencing? You know, it's like one of those yes. criminals that only steals from other criminals. You know, you can justify it. I think I think in certain situations, yes, maybe not in this one, but still. <laughs> I mean, look, I mean, he, I guess he's suggesting that if you steal a girl from a pedophile, that's an act of kindness. Mm. But then if you're a, yourself a pet pedophile, it is inappropriate. <laughs> <laughs> Someone had to say it. Yeah. Um, so Lolita is gone. Humbert assumes that the ma- the man that was tailing them has taken her away. That's that's what his assumption he's mm. making. Humbert now becomes the detective and retraces his steps by visiting all 342 hotel and motels that he and Lolita stayed at. Oh, my God. Wow. They've really travelled a lot. And wow. he's he's uh, really, yeah, on the on the case. Yeah. And he, he goes to every hotel and asks about the other guests because he doesn't know how long this man was tailing them for. Many of the places provided clues and led Humbert to discover that this man was trailing them the whole time time checking in under names and quote planting pseudonyms for my special benefit so the man was leaving clues no okay he absolutely wasn't he is what mm. he is now delusional and is just seeing these things where yeah. there is nothing i have a friend like this yeah oh, really <laughs> maybe a little bit are you the friend mm, no okay so you're not delusional but do you actually know someone who does who sees patterns where patterns are not there absolutely yeah <laughs> isn't Andy uh, no but it's a it's a real mental illness oh right yeah. sorry it's we shouldn't good. laugh about it but so he goes into this whole intro, this chapter about how this guy uh, also speaks French because um, Humbert Humbert was born in Paris so he's, he's French is his first language and how the guy was even toying with him by leaving uh, f- these clues in French Humbert is a very intelligent person. He assumes this other man is also very intelligent and that it's just been a bit of a game between the two that he didn't realise he was playing this whole time. Game of the minds. Yes. He continues his search and even... Do we get a, do we get a, a sense of what some of those clues are? Uh, just names that mean things and he goes into intricate detail as to why that name would mean something to him. Yeah, right. But, yeah. but it'll, it'll be the kind of intricate detail where, like, the guy could never have known that he would have yeah, known yeah, exactly. what any of this mm. stuff meant. Yeah, his so. grade two teacher was called Mr. Yeah. Flaubert or something. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Humbert. Is, how's that spelled? H-U-M? Yep. B-A-R-T? B-E-R-T. Humbert. B-A-R-T. So in French, uh, it would be like, Humbert, Humbert. It just doesn't sound very French. I'm doubting whether or not he's even French. <laughs> We're questioning a lot of reality here. Uh, he continues his search and even hires a private detective, but he can't find Lolita. He almost gives up and briefly returns to a sanatorium. Checks himself back in. <laughs> and probably doesn't tell them all the details <laughs> yeah. of exactly what's going on. <laughs> He's leaving clues in French. <laughs> uh, he gives up on finding Lolita, in fact, and starts a relationship with a woman, not an infant, but an alcoholic grown woman in her 20s called Rita. They drink and travel together sometimes to places where he and Lolita stayed. But he doesn't hear from Lolita for two whole years. All right. Then one day, he receives a letter from Lolita, now 17 years old. It reads, quote, Dear Dad, how's everything? I'm married. I'm going to have a baby. I guess he's going to be a big one. I guess he'll come right for Christmas. This is a hard letter to write. 
end quote. She goes on to write that she's been through much sadness and hardship and that her and her husband Dick are in desperate, desperate need of money to get to Alaska where Dick can work in the mechanical field. And then she signs the letter, Dolly, in brackets, Mrs. Richard F. Schiller. I wonder how she managed to find his address mm. to send him the sure. letter. I don't know. Yeah. Richard F. I guess Schiller. there's not that many Humbert Humberts in the phone book. Yeah, I guess not. <laughs> the old double H, two mm. H. The uh, younger brother of Triple H. <laughs> double H. I don't know <laughs> what that is. Isn't that a, isn't That's that a wrestler? wrestler? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, his nickname was The Game. Was it? Oh, yeah. That's another clue that he left for <laughs> us. The computer game. Got um, it. Yes. <laughs> um, should, was that last name, that name sign at the bottom supposed to mean something to us? Uh, yes, which I'll explain later. Okay. Oh, okay. Great. It's just a clue. Was it Schiller? Richard F. Schiller. Richard F. Schiller. Hmm. Uh, she doesn't leave her address, this is Lolita, just in case Humbert is still mad at her. She's a bit worried. Mm-hmm. But knowing that he's a bit of a detective, she thinks he'll be able to find her. But he, he grabs his gun and prepares for a duel with her husband, Dick, assuming it's the same guy that he, uh, he saw kidnap her two years earlier. And he absolutely hasn't calmed down or anything at all in this. <laughs> absolutely Like not. in these intervening years, he has. And even though she's no longer a nymphette by his standards, she's right, 17 yeah. now. That means but it, five years have passed, like all up, right? Since he started with since her. Since the first, or four and a bit, yeah. Mm. So, yeah. so was he traveling with her for two years? Uh, yes, they were on the road for one whole year. Then they they settled down for a few, well, I guess a few months, and then traveled for a few months. So, yeah, mm-hmm. probably about two years. And then he doesn't see her for two years. And then he had that time where he lived with her and her mum. So, yeah, about mm. four and a half years. Uh, so he does end up locating her before he... Goes to see her. He washes and dresses nicely, and then he takes his gun. <laughs> Inappropriate. <laughs> do we do we know how he finds her? Uh, lots. Yeah, it goes into lots of yeah, lots yeah. of detail about looking and looking, work. looking, lots of yeah. Looking. Okay. Looking, I mean, how would you do it in the in the computer game? You look under a rock. Yep. yep. You find. You something. ask an old old lady in the square. That's right, and she gives you a cryptic clue. Mm. You dagger her. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> um, Lolita answers the door, and she's still pretty, but like he said, no longer an nymphette. He tells us, quote, I could not kill her, of course, as some have thought. You see, I loved her. It was love at first sight, at last sight, at ever and ever sight. End quote. So he's still deeply in love with her. She tells Humbert that her husband isn't the man that took her from the hospital and that Dick actually has no idea about her old life. Mm-hmm. Humbert demands to know who did take her from the hospital, telling her if she expects money, she should at least tell him this information. So she told Humbert that uh, he never that he would never believe the unbelievable. So it is something wacky. There is something that's happened. He's not so totally crazy and making it all up and well here we go he spent all this time in the in the sanatorium sanitarium for nothing <laughs> imagine this i can't wait is, is this about to unfold well get ready to believe the unbelievable gentlemen. oh i feel like some coincidences are gonna start unfolding and i love it eventually she told him who took her from the hospital that night she described him as the only man she'd ever been crazy about she had first met him years ago as he knew her mother, and then he had an uncle that lived nearby. His name was Claire 
Quilty. <gasps> what? The, the playwright that had written the play, she starred in at school. A man called Claire? Claire Quilty. C-L-A-R-E. I don't care. I don't care. Right? <laughs> Nabokov does not know about names. He's <laughs> he's a name. He's, he can't do names. He's a ignanamous. Yes. <laughs> You could have gone, yeah, are you talking about like a gender neutral name like Chris or something? Is that what was, was that? Well, I, because I remember, just, she tried to throw him off the scent by actually. He remember, um, Humbert said, oh, what was the, What's the playwright call? He, um, the teacher, yeah. Yeah, well, that lady in the town said that the playwright really liked him. She said, Oh, it's just some old woman, Claire, trying to throw him mm. off the scent, knowing full well that it was a man even then. Mm-hmm. So were you saying that it would but, have made she, more was sense? She, was she trying to throw him off the scent? Because the name was Claire. Yeah, but... Oh, but by saying woman. Yeah, yeah so saying, saying woman, woman and saying and the name Claire. A woman-sounding name. But then how would she have known that the person who mentioned the playwright to, to, to Humbert wouldn't have mentioned the fact that the playwright was a man, right? Oh, no, sorry. In person, as they're leaving town, the woman says... Oh, how, what a pity that your daughter here doesn't get to okay. be in the school right. play. Sorry, I'm trying to pick holes in yeah. this thing. I clearly am not. Uh, no, that's fine because there are a lot of coincidences and I can see your frustration. But the woman in the town, to be fair, does say, oh, it's sad that your daughter here doesn't get to go get to be in the play. You should have heard what the playwright said about her. Gave her such a big rap. And then they drive off and Humbert goes, playwright? Mm. What did he say about who? Who? What did he say? Who was that? And she goes, "Oh, I don't know. I can't remember. Some old woman named Claire or something." And he hears right. a female name and goes, "Claire. All right, not a threat. Whatever." Mm. Um, so this is Claire Quilty. Her mother had known him as a child. She was warned to stay away from him. He was as he was rumored to prey on young girls and had almost gone to jail. Lots of rumors around this guy. He had seen her and Humbert at the inn, the first inn, and followed them for two years. Wow! So he I got is. this. I got this guy all wrong. Which guy? Humpet. Oh right. Did this guy have an inheritance as well? Well, this is how uh, Humpet describes it. Yes. She, well, even actually, Humpet describing uh, Lolita describing it because you're like annoyed by how crazy that sounds. Mm. Two years. She says, "Quote: Yes, she said this world was just one gag after another. If somebody wrote up her life, nobody would ever believe it." <laughs> So it's, a, it's a good line. That's a good line to put in any book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's calling out. It's, it's, it's like you, 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 you say, "Well, I know people don't think this is going to be make any sense." But if I put a line in there saying no one would think this would make any sense, then oh, oh, um, the truth is crazier than fiction. If anyone were to write up my life, people would call it poorly written garbage <laughs> with lots of spelling mistakes. <laughs> well, with. with with weird names that men would never have. <laughs> and if you're reading this, piss off, Mum. Yeah. Well, eventually Claire Quilty grabbed her from the hospital and had taken her to a ranch where the wealthy playwright, he's a wealthy playwright, comes from money, and his friends liked to participate in orgies and film them. So he has strange sexual proclivities, inclu- proclivities including being attracted to children like Humbert himself. Uh, the, but Lolita refused to get involved, and he kicked her out of the ranch. Mm-hmm. Grandpa's ranch. Yeah. Inappropriate, by the way. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Sorry. To have orgies with children, absolutely. Yeah. Lolita then began working as a waitress and met Dick, the, the mechanic that she's now married to. They got together. 
Humbert, uh, Dick comes home during this conversation. Humbert meets him and he thought he was simple but couldn't hold anything against the guy. Oh, that's nice. Probably the only good thought he's had in the Mm. entire thing. But still, Humbert, here's the story. He gives her $4,000. She'd only asked for $400, but he told her it was her inheritance from her dead mum. She asked if he wanted sex for the money, and he said, no, quote, you've got it all wrong. I want you to leave your incidental dick and this awful hole and come to live with me and die with me and everything with me. He goes a little bit mad. He gave her the choice, and she refused. So he just gives her the money. Starts... Is Dick there for this? No, he's gone out the back. Right. Uh, hum... and, she... and Dick thinks it's her father. Oh. So he's like, oh, great to meet you. I'm going to go out the back. I'm going to have a beer. Does he call him an incidental dick? Yes, incidental dick. That's a good phrase. <laughs> he's a good writer. Not a good coming up with names, but a good writer. Uh, so he gives her the choice. Do you want to come? Do you want to stay here with this guy or come live with me? I, I still love you. And she refuses. She says, I want to stay here. Humbert cries his eyes out and they say goodbye through tears. It, and, but he has given her the $4,000. Yes, but he leaves her the money. Right. It's not like you have to come with me for the money. He just gives it to her. Uh, determined to find this playwright, Claire, on his journey, Humbert begins to feel guilty about his behavior towards Lolita and sees himself as the thief of her childhood. He regrets loving her as a sex object rather than the person she was, something he feels he's only realised in hindsight. He realised that even when living with her mother, who she frequently clashed with, it was better than anything that he ever offered her. Yeah. <laughs> wow, okay. <laughs> yeah, he's, yeah. Well, I think what he's really realising is he's not a good guy. Yeah, because I think at the time he thought, I'm giving you... Um, um, love? Endless Hotels? Love. No, I think... Uh, what's, the, what's the word? Um... Can't think of the word. Devotion? Mm. Yeah, I think so. That's what he sees that he's giving her. But now in hindsight, he's like, oh, I was acting inappropriately. Inappropriate. Selfish. Right. Completely, It was all yeah. about him. Yeah. And I never really loved her for the person. Just the sex object. But, I mean, to be honest, he's just some guy. So he shouldn't really have been loving her for any reason at all. Mm. Right? <laughs> Yeah, that's true. He's a much, much older man. He's probably our age, my age. Oh, even older. Yeah? Middle age, yeah. Is he like 40-something? Yeah, mid-40s, maybe even 50 years old. Oh, yucky. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm sorry for the whole time. I've upgraded from inappropriate to yucky. This is very yucky. Um, You know, because... Anyway, that's not... not, I mean, nothing makes it worse. Everything that he did was very inappropriate. Very inappropriate. And he sees the way that he can sort of make things right, is to find this Claire Quilty guy. People who do similar things to what he mm. does. Take out some revenge. Take it out on them, and somehow that could maybe make what he did somehow better. That's what he's thinking. So he wants to track down this Claire Quilty, mm-hmm. but he doesn't know where to go. He knows, he finds out that he um, he doesn't know where he is, but he knows who he is, he doesn't know where he is. He finds out that he has an uncle who is a dentist. That's all he knows. So he visits all 3,087 <laughs> dentists he's ever been to. Uh, he realises uh, who the dentist is, and he, his name's Ivor. He questions Ivor, this is while being operated or being uh, during his appointment, about his nephew's movements. But Ivor says he hasn't seen him in a long time, but speculates that he could be at the family-held mansion. Mm. So he comes from a lot of old money. Humbert leaves as soon as he finds out this info, cutting the... Dentist appointment short, he says to the dentist, quote, on second thoughts, 
I shall have it done by Dr. Molnar. His price is higher, but he is, of course, a much better dentist than you. And then leaves. And his name is basically Molar. (laughs) That's a good sign. But, of course, he would have said it like this. I'm going to go Molnar. Uh, Humbert then addresses us, the reader, he says, quote, I do not know if any of my readers will have a chance to say that, but it is a delicious dream feeling. <laughs> Telling the dentist to shove it up his ass. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, well, how much skill is required for what was probably, he didn't, like, book himself in for, like, a root canal. It was probably just, like, a clean, a routine clean. And his dentist is much better at routine cleaning. <laughs> His cleans are so much more routine (laughs) than yours. Dr. Molnar. My uh, grandpa was a dentist and he, um, one of his dental friends that he would often, once he retired, suggest the family go to was called Dr. Nervo. (laughs) I found that quite unnerving. (laughs) Quite unnervo. (laughs) When when my wife was pregnant and we visited the hospital, Mm. there was a doctor whose name was Dr. Snowball. (laughs) (laughs) I never met Dr. Snowball. I just saw Dr. Snowball's name on a on a door. And I, I had a feeling that if I'd opened that door, I would have just seen a cat in a lab coat. <laughs> That's the kind of doctor that before you go any further, you'd like to see some credentials. <laughs> yeah, you're <laughs> see, like a certificate on a wall or something. Dr. Snowball. Can I call you university? <laughs> would that be inappropriate, Mr. Snowball? Snabale. (laughs) It's pronounced Snabale. Hummer tracked down the mansion after leaving the dentist and broke into it to find it empty. But soon after some some searching, he found the playwright, Claire Quilty. So it wasn't empty. (laughs) It was empty. No more. Okay. Hummer had a gun in his hand, but Quilty seemed unfazed when he saw it. Humbert mentioned Lolita, but uh, but Quilty did not seem to recognise her name, or at least (laughs) pretends not to. He was following her for two years. (laughs) He's a very strange character, this Quilty, and I get the feeling that he may have been high in this scene. Humbert says that he is Lolita's father and that he is going to kill Quilty for kidnapping her. Quilty then denies this, saying he saved her from a pervert. So he starts to recognise it a little bit. They wrestle over the gun, but Humbert gets the upper hand and t- tells Quilty that he is about to die. Quilty then tries to bribe Humbert with money, the house, royalties from his plays, or even young girls, but Humbert shoots him. Quilty runs away wounded, but Humbert keeps shooting him as he runs, and even as he is being shot, this is why I think he's high, he says, quote, He would say under his breath with a phony British accent, all the while dreadfully twitching, shivering, smirking, but withal talking in a curiously detached and even amiable manner. He would say, quote, Ah, that hurts, sir. Enough. Ah, that hurts atrociously, my dear fellow. I pray you desist. Ah, very painful. Very painful indeed. God, ha! This is abominable. You are really, you really should not. End quote. Eventually, he died. That's quite funny. It is funny. That is a, that is a, good, that is a good little scene. <laughs> As you're being shot, I pray you desist. <laughs> Lay off, you brigand. <laughs> How inappropriate. <laughs> Yucky. <laughs> Eventually he did die. Humbert then walked out of the house and found people who had just arrived for a party drinking. He announced to them, quote, I have just killed Claire Quilty. Good for you, one of them replied. And then another one said, someone ought to have done it long ago. <laughs> Mm. There you go. But these are his dinner guests, right? They've shown up to his house to yeah. 
Just party. to show that they don't really care about him. Oh, maybe they were joking so that to placate the man with the, the gun. gun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good for you, Squire. Oh, yes, I'm glad you did. Yes, oh, anyway. <laughs> oh, I was actually just on his way to shoot him. Can I borrow your gun <laughs> to shoot him a few more times? <laughs> just in case. That's how much I hate him. Uh, soon after this, covered in blood, our narrator, Humbert Humbert, drove on the wrong side of the road. Oh, inappropriate. <laughs> Is that why he's in prison, for driving on the wrong yeah. side of the road? Well, and then he waited to be arrested, where for 56 days after being arrested, he wrote this tale we just heard. Mm. First in the psychiatric ward and then in seclusion in the jail once released from the psychiatric unit. I love a bit of seclusion. Imagine all the writing you'd get done. Mm. Yes, well, he wrote an entire 400-page book in that time. He explains he changed uh, some names in the story we've just heard, including his own, choosing the pseudonym Humbert Humbert, but he couldn't quite bring himself to change the name Lolita. It was just too integral to the fabric of the story and the feelings he held towards this girl. Right. He said he originally wrote it all down because he was going to use this to try and defend himself when on trial, but decided against mounting a defence. Humbert tells us that he is uh, opposed to capital punishment, but if he were to pass judgment and sentence himself, he would give himself at least 35 years for the rape of Lolita, but drop all the other charges including the murder of Quilty. <laughs> okay. Well, if I mean, if they introduce the system where the um, accused gets to sentence themselves, I, I, I say good luck to him. Good luck. Because the whole thing he's been trying to justify his life, his crimes to us, seeing us, the reader, as a jury. But then he says, if I were the jury mm. and the judge, this is what I'd give myself. And I think he's – because he sees the murder of Quilty is not a crime at all. Mm. Mm. But it is interesting that he does – has come around on the Lolita thing, right? That, Yeah, that he is definitely a bad guy and he did the wrong thing. Yeah, but also that he thinks that... But, but also he says that he would present that book as his defence in the... He thought about it but then finished it. I think maybe right. he got to the end of it. That's when he had the, uh, the realisation that he was the bad guy in this and that's right. why he decided, I will not use the book as a defence. I'll just... Set- publish this one day but he notes that Lolita will probably survive him by many years being much younger than him so he makes uh, a note quote I wish this memoir to be published only when Lolita is no longer alive thus neither of us is alive when the reader opens this book Mm. it's one of the last thing he says the final paragraphs are directed towards Lolita herself wishing her all of the best in life and that she shall live on in this book he says quote and do not pity Claire Quilty one had to choose between him and Humbert Humbert, and one wanted Humbert Humbert to exist at least a couple of months longer so as to have him make you live in the minds of later generations. I am thinking of the aurochs and angels, the secret of durable pigments, prophetic sonnets, the refuge of art, and this is the only immortality you and I share, my Lolita. And the mm. book ends. Because remember, at the start of the book, he's, mm. uh, the doctor told us that the man who wrote this, who called himself Humbert Humbert, died before being a few days before going to trial for the murder. Oh, right. So he is definitely dead. And that, that's when the manuscript was sent to this doctor, and the doctor has published do we, do we it. Know, did he kill himself? Uh, no, he just died of natural causes. It was some sort of uh, aneurysm, I believe. Yeah, right. <clears throat> but oh. one last bit of tragedy here. <sighs> oh, going back, goodness. I know. Going back to the foreword at the start of the book, something mm. I did not realise as I was reading it, you asked about the name Richard F. Schiller mm. earlier on, Alistair. Only upon rereading what seemed a mere throwaway line in the foreword, 
did I realize, and maybe you're supposed to realize this way, I, maybe you're supposed to realize earlier, but I reread it to double check. Only then do you realize what happened to Lolita. Dr. John Ray Jr., who's the doctor at the start, he writes about what happened to the characters that we're about to meet. A bit of a postscript. Uh, uh, the teacher of the school's now doing this, blah, blah, blah. And at the time, you haven't met any of these characters, so you sort of skip through it and go, oh, I don't really care. We know that the writer Humbert died in prison a few days before his trial. But he also says, Rita, the alcoholic that uh, Humbert briefly dated, has recently married the propi- proprietor of a hotel in fl- Florida, Mrs. Richard F. Schiller, the married name of Lolita, died in childbirth whilst giving birth to a stillborn girl on Christmas Day, oh, 1952. Geez. And only then do you realise, because at the start, because uh, throughout Ooh. the whole book she's called oh, Lolita, yeah, right. but only this one time is she referred to as Mrs. Richard F. Schiller. And that is at the very at, end at the of the ver- book. That's at the very start of the book. So, oh, okay. But you don't know that yet. You only know... You only, only know her as Lolita up until Ooh. about the last 20 pages. Right, but then we see her as Mrs. Richard F. Sheila when you see when you see the when she sends the letter to Humbert. Mm. Yeah, that's right. She marks it up. And that, but the, the the reader, unless they had for some reason kept that in their head the whole time, that's right, would mm. not have co- put that together. So who who is reading the book and getting that? Well, I did not get it initially, and I will fully admit mm. that. And sometimes, well, every time I do this podcast, I read out write out my own uh, summary as I'm reading it, mm. and then I reread uh, other summaries of the book to make sure I haven't missed anything integral. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to get on here and then miss a bit, like well, the jet ski chase. From well, sometimes I misinterpret Shakespeare and I'm like, yes, of course, he's talking about a sword. And people are like, hey, that was not a sword. So mm. I go back and double check it. Mm. And at the end of all these summaries, it would say, and Lolita died in childbirth. And I was rereading that last page about mm. 15 times going, how do you know that? Mm. It doesn't say it ends with her saying, him saying, "You, uh, this will only be published after we die. But through this book, this is the only immortality you and I, Lolita, share. A beautiful mm. line that finishes the book. There's no mention of her dying in childbirth and only at... You know, after many rereads of that last book, that I realised, oh, it was there the whole time. It was this little clue, mm. which is quite clever, mm. but also <laughs> extremely tragic. So she died probably only a few months after. Jeez. After Humbert Humbert himself. Inappropriate. <laughs> Inappropriate. And on oh. Christmas Day, I mean, could oh. this get any more tragic? This book. Oh, and it had to be a stillborn. Like why? I know, dying in childbirth. The child also died. It was ah. Oh. Yeah, it's almost like Nabokov didn't want us to have any fun in this any, book at all. Any enjoyment whatsoever and not talk about it on a comedy podcast <laughs> over two special episodes. He wasn't thinking about the comedy podcast. <laughs> <when he laughs> Come on, this. mate. What a it, jerk. It shows a lack of foresight. It does. And a lack of compassion, I think. Mm. You know, What's the first name? Vladimir? Vladimir. Yeah, that's classic. Classic it Vlad. Is a classic name. Yeah. But it, it's so classic that he never would have come up with that name himself. <laughs> no, he would have called good. himself Glumber. <laughs> like that Glumber. Although now we know that the names in the book weren't really come up with by Nabokov. They were come up with by Humbert Humbert. Mm-hmm. That's right. And once you create a, a a deep enough character, what they say really just you have no choice on that. You remember? You exactly. know, people talk about the writers, they go, these these characters, they're making their mm-hmm. own choices now. But I do wonder if like he went back like maybe maybe Nabokov did write the book. All very reasonable names are in the book. Mm-hmm. And then 
he wrote that bit at the end where the where Humbert says he'd written it and changed some of the names, and then Nabokov was like, "All right, well, I'll go back through and make these names sound more made up." Mm. Right. Yeah. Who knows? I think. I, look, I think Andy, that's great rationale. Thank you. That's what we would do. But are we so? Are we supposed to believe the stuff? The Quilty stuff actually happened. The following them, following them for two years in a red convertible, leaving weird clues in French. Like, is that what? Have you have you read anybody's analysis to say whether or not any of that is true? I think most people are taking it on face true, value. You know, true yes. in the book. In the book, yeah. yeah. I think most people are taking it on. It's just so wacky. But it is but, a little bit. Well, it is the second half mm. is much wackier than the first half. Yeah, that is good. I mean, I do look. To be honest, I get more interested when things are wacky. Yeah. Um, I do love a bit of whack. But, I mean, there's a chance still that he wasn't leaving clues, that maybe right. he still was trying to interpret something from from names and things like sure. that. And so, because he still was crazy, I think. Yeah. So you it's know. a por qua no los dos type situation. Yeah. Por qué? Por qué por por no los dos? Okay. Yeah. Por qua French. You know, you, but we learn, then, we you know what I say about Spanish and French? What? Pourquoi no los dos? <laughs> <laughs> um, we learn a lot of second languages here in Australia based on TV ads. That's I learned, right. I learned this in Italian. Questo sicchio benedizio miscolando bene. Potre o quattro persone o uno. Any translation there? Or? That's uh, <clears throat> you know, something miscolando bene I think means mix well. Por tres o cuatro personas. That's or like three or four pe- people. people. Or uno. And then, or one. Mm. And I think and it was uh, Kellyanne Kennelly. And she was... was Carrie-Anne? Le- yeah, Carrie-Anne. Carrie-Anne, sorry. And it was a uh, it was a Lego set. <laughs> for, for pasta sauce. For pasta sauce. God. It's beautiful, though, the way you say it. It's really lovely. That was, that was something. Thanks. You so. got that great voice, Alistair, from when you read that passage in the mm, first. Uh, yeah, well, I can do anything, and it sounds. Can okay. you give us a little bit, a little bit <clears throat> more reading? What do you reckon? Uh, just a random page. Of course. Well, could he read that little bit at the end, where he, about the immortality and stuff like oh, that? Oh, that's a good line. Yes. Yeah. Oh, sorry. That there's also a note here from Vladimir himself, but we'll not get onto that. Did you read it? Uh yes, I did do it. It's um. Teachers of literature are apt to think up such problems as, what is the author's purpose? Or worse still, what is the guy trying to say? <laughs> he does also address his critics about... Um, and I was actually reading this going, that's very, very true. He said a lot of people that reviewed it initially when it came out didn't get through the first 100 pages, which was the, the hardest bit for me because that's mm. the bit where he's talking mm. about how he's attracted to children and goes into this detail. And I found that very unsettling. And he said... A lot of people didn't get past that bit and then just pass judgment on it mm. as a bit of a d- disgusting text, erotic in all the wrong ways. Mm. Um, and that really annoyed him because he thought that of the story as so much more than just that. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, there's, there's the last page, Al. You can read as much of um, that in your I'll beautiful... Just go, I'll go way down. Um, let's see. I am thinking of Oryx and angels, the secret of durable pigments. Prophetic sonnets, the refuge of art. And this is the only immortality you and I may share, my Lolita. <laughs> oh, God. That is so good. Bravo. Wow. Thank you. I'm How not do you sure do it? it was that good, but no, um, that, that's beautiful. It really, really helps nice. being starting to get tired and like that your throat starts to kind of get <laughs> yeah. real croaky. Start giving up. 
Well, let's wrap this all up. What do we? Th- what? How do we feel? Andy, are you annoyed by the coincidences? Because it suddenly becomes a bit of like a detective novel there, yeah, it is interesting, which I was not it? expecting at all. Yeah, well, I I sort of like I I quite like in the yeah how it does escalate and like it feeds into him being a bit crazy mm. and he has had these breakdowns so we know he's unreliable but then that stuff actually seems to be happening and it's not really clear mm. and then yeah I I uh, I'm into it yeah yeah I liked it you enjoy it? how about you Al what are your what are your feelings your thoughts well I mean I like that the the thing that we thought were cheap coincidences mm. you know and Andy had developed a distaste for coincidences from watching that uh, <laughs> most extreme primate <laughs> for primates the podcast yeah from primates the podcast from the um author what's his name Robert Vince Robert Vince, Robert Vince right? what a guy and um and so but that then that they were they were given purpose because mm. it turns out, you know, and and, and, and I can only assume that that happens in most vertical primate or whatever as well. They all at the end, everything ties, ties together, together in nicely. a neat little bow, and, right? it, and you know who ties it together in a bow? It's a chimp, and that's what you want to see: some <laughs> right. chimps doing human things. And then do you realize that the chimp actually died in the first minute of the film, and you only realize that at the end because mm-hmm. there was a. I'm only realizing it now. There's yeah. a shot of a gravestone with it. The chimp. It says he, chimp on it. Yeah. I, didn't, didn't, I didn't put it together. He didn't realize that that was actually not their maiden name. Mm. That chimp had married. <laughs> it wasn't Trish. It was now Chimp. <laughs> <laughs> Is that true? I can only imagine the author, Robert Vince, would do such a thing. Um, but did, so but yeah, I would the say end. that I, I, yeah, I did enjoy the end. I think a lot of the stuff was uncomfortable. But yes, it was definitely. A, it was a good story. You know, I wonder I if you could you could write this without all the weird pervy mm. stuff. Right? Couldn't it be like? Can or, you take that? Like if I was if I was later as um, editor, I'd I'd say take that stuff out all with the girl and stuff. Mm. This bit about the guy and the car and that sort of that's interesting. That's mm. good. I like the hotels and the sightseeing. Mm. Um, Men like- named Claire. That's funny. Yeah. Keep that in. Yeah. <laughs> More of that. What about what about the rea- it's a relationship between him and a very old mm. woman. Oh. Like ninety eight, yeah. You that, know, and is that inappropriate for other reasons? No, mm. we'll see because she's putting a bit of that sort of older knowledge oh, pressure okay. on him, right? So it's, she's being inappropriate. She's being she's inappropriate. a cradle snatcher. Yeah. <laughs> so the book becomes about uh, someone called a ninety eight year old woman called Lolita. No, I think we just go back to Dolores. 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 Yes. We already had the perfect name. It makes name. sense. <laughs> it makes yeah. sense. Dolores Hayes. Yeah. Or Aldita. <laughs> no. I'm sure someone would have written an adaptation over the years where it's an older woman and a young boy, surely. Probably Brolita. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's get this up. Come on, everybody. <laughs> well, let, uh, at the end of every episode, we give it a score out of five. Now, let me remind you, last week, Andy gave the first half three and a half out of five, and uh, sorry, L gave it three and a half out of five. Andy and I both gave it a four out of five mm-hmm. each. Now you've heard it all, as you've heard it here today. Are you sticking with your your three and a half and your four, or has it gone up or down in either of your books? Second half gets four and a half. Four yeah. and a half from L. Wow. Mm-hmm. Which means it averages out to four. Mm-hmm. Like that. I'm I'm also going to give it a four and a half. I mean, I don't know why I'm giving it any less than five. Let's just give it five. I'm giving it five. You're giving it a five. I'm giving it five stars. Who am I to criticize? This book. I guess my one criticism is yes, that please. one star is being lost because of inappropriateness. Yeah. yeah. Great. It all comes full circle. And if only they could have rewritten it as you just said it. Yeah. That would have been a full five. Bro mm-hmm. Lita. Him, and him fits. 
that's going to be him fat. And, and, and unlike uh, current day, it would have gone down in history as a true classic, but it's been lost to <laughs> literature because of its inappropriateness. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, try again, Nabokov. Yeah. What the hell? I'm going to give it a four and a half as well. Okay. Oh, it's really good. It is extremely well written, and I would mm. enjoy. I'm going to try and read uh, some more Nabokov on the show. Right, yeah, I've like... never heard of any of his other works. Have uh, any of them achieved any? Uh, Catching Fire, I believe, is his uh, other mm. one. Okay, I know I have another one, I which just... is uh, written in uh, Pale Fire, which is Catching Fire is one of the uh, uh, Hunger Games. <laughs> that <laughs> is embarrassing. <laughs> Did he also write The Order of the Phoenix? <laughs> 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 Breaking Dawn. <laughs> <laughs> but so the pale fire, let me read about this from Wikipedia. The novel is presented as a 999-line poem titled Pale Fire, written by the fictional poet John Shade, with a foreword, a lengthy commentary and index written by Shade's neighbour and acad- academic colleague Charles Cabont. Together these elements form a narrative in which both fictional authors are central characters. So it sounds extremely complicated. He loves his framing devices, Absolutely. doesn't he? Mm. I think I have a copy of The Gift at home, which is another one of his books. And it's his final Russian novel and uh-huh. is considered to be his farewell farewell to the world he was leaving behind. Mm. Nabokov wrote it between 1935 and 1937 while living in Berlin. <laughs> wow. That made me want to get it. <laughs> you just got to slow down what you're saying. Never. And, and put Never. and put a little bit of you know overt meaning in your voice. Is that a picture of him? That is a picture of the man. Oh yeah, he looks like a pretty regular Look bloke. Around. I bet he spent a lot of time on Greek islands. He does look like he's seen a fair share of European sun. Yeah, the Mediterranean. But is that's like less that's less intense sun than we get here, right? Apparently yeah, so. But it's tanning. It's I think it's you can have more of it. And mm. it gets you, gets you that bronze look, mm. as opposed to just turning your pink. I think there's some people, like I think there's people also in in the Mediterranean and stuff like that, that whose skin is just naturally darker. Right? That's also yeah. true. Yeah, that helps. Yeah, sure. That is, Trini died in Switzerland in 1977 at the age of 78. Really? Okay, that's you know 77, 78. That's good. That's good series of numbers. <laughs> yeah, maybe too many sevens. <laughs> Um, just yeah, very well written, and I must say, I felt found myself feeling a bit strange at the end because I'm reading it, and the first half of the book certainly hate the character. And to be honest, ninety nine percent of the book you hate the character, but at the end, start I f- felt bad because I started feeling sorry for the character himself, mm. and then you start you remember the awful stuff that he's done to a child, yeah, and it is. Yeah, you, I found found that quite conflicting. I guess it's like it's also kind of plays on some of that stuff about how people, how how somebody like that would feel, like that he feels guilty, but then some of that weight might be might be lifted because this person is aged, and then suddenly you're no longer looking at a person who's twelve, you're no longer looking at a, at a child, and you know, like there's so much kind of troubling stuff with like, you know, emotion, you know, his own, I don't know, that person is suppressing the bad stuff that's happened to them, and he's kind of. Feeling bad, but also kind of, I don't know. This, look, I don't understand. It's, it's a lot of emotions. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I wonder, are you, I don't think Nabokov could have written this from an omniscient third-person narrator perspective, right? It has to be written from the perspective of Humbert. Mm. 
because because it would just be too unpleasant to hear just a writer writing about it. Like mm. you need it to come through the point of view of the 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 one of the characters in the story telling the story and constructing their own narrative so that there are some sort of l- levels of distance between you and the, the Yes, story. absolutely. And also yeah. like the whole book he's trying to justify everything yeah. to you and you yeah. know I wouldn't say he was. I think that that would be an impossible challenge for a writer to to make you be like, oh yeah, that that makes sense. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You don't. You never like go with a character and go, oh okay, yeah, I understand why you're doing that now. Yeah. You never go. It, you know, he never does justify it. But at the same time, at the end of the ca- the book, you know, he's very upset, feeling guilty about his whole life and things like that. And you think, oh, God, I feel weird because I feel sorry for the guy. But mm. also, it's so hard to watch old men cry. It's just oh. the saddest thing oh, in the world. Tragic, isn't it? <laughs> oh. oh, it's good to know that the value of our crying becomes more, more intense as we get absolutely, older. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm. And then you get to like seventy or something like that. People will put you in an ad, an mm. ad for cars. Oh, ah, that's I'll, the dream. I'll weep. I'll weep my eyes out for that. <laughs> Some sweet car cash. Mm, car cash. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me for part two of Lolita. Thanks for having us back. Mm, now. Thank you. As a palate cleanser, as I put it last week, people support this show through the medium of Patreon. Right. Well, they okay. can go to patreon.com slash pod, as this mm. is a spin-off uh, from Do Go On, the podcast to do with Matt Stewart and Jess Perkins. And uh, the other spin-off is, of course, Primates, where, they, where Matt Stewart talks about primates in popular culture. For example, the films of the author Robert Vince with mm. you guys mm-hmm. very recently. And uh, if you want to support Do Go On as well as these two spin-offs, you can go to that page and you get bonus episodes of Do Go On. We put two out every single month. But also, as a reward for people that really like book cheat, I get asked them to tell me their favourite books and I read them out on the show. So I've got three people here with their books. Do you mind if I told you their favourites? This is not the at part all. I've been waiting for. <laughs> this is the episode. I must say, a lot of guests feel this is the highlight of the episode. That's why we keep coming back. Thank you so much. <laughs> Uh, Amy Gibbs, a uh, fantastic supporter on uh, Patreon, has uh, messaged in to tell me her favourite book. It's nearly impossible. <laughs> and that's not a title. It's just nearly impossible to name such a book. It would have to be a five-way tie between The Hobbit, Little Women, The Catcher in the Rye, which Andy was on an episode we covered, The Catcher in the Rye, once on this show, yes. uh, The Godfather and The Hitchhiker's Guide. Or anything by Bill Bryson. <laughs> so it's a multi-way tie. Mm. All, She's crammed a lot into that Absolutely. Plug. All very different but amazing examples of their respective genres. Many rereads. Thank you, Amy Gibbs. I've, I've read a lot of the, uh, that list. Oh, any of would be up there in your top sort of... Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, absolutely, is um, yeah, one of my favourite books. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much to Amy Gibbs. I took a, I chose an inappropriate time to have a sip of water there. I'll just, I'll just wait two minutes. Uh, Daniel Spring, my favourite book is the series, if that counts. People are bending the rules this week, but I nobody, love this people. Nobody cares, and I love that all your listeners are renegades. <laughs> they don't give a shit. Mm. Uh, it's definitely the Scott Pilgrim series. I reread it in its entirety five times or so in my life, the first time around age 14. Is that appropriate? I don't know the content. I don't know the content. <laughs> and each time I get something different out of the series, which I think is a fantastic indicator of well-written fiction. Boom. It sounds good to yeah. me. Can't it's disagree a, with that. It, are they graphic novels, Scott Pilgrim? I believe they might be, yes. And then um, and then a movie. Michael Sarah was he in the films? Correct. 
Mm-hmm. I know my um, Michael... he, no, he's a real dish. Yeah. <laughs> I know my Michael Sarah adaptations. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and finally, to Gary J, who's in the Do Go On Gary Supporter Hall of Fame. Oh, wow. We do what, love... What a I hall. What a I hall. I know you had celebrity yeah, listeners. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Gary J's written my favourite... Oh, this is wrong. I've copied in Daniel Springs, my favourite book series here. That's not... That's inappropriate here. Come on, Dave. That, let, we'll, me, we'll, let me see. We'll just fill. Will you fill while I scroll down to find... Yeah, I'm filling. Listen to me. Oh, I'm I've got also it here. filling. I've got it. From Gary J. <laughs> My favourite book is a bit of a cheat. Another one! Oh, my They've all God. cheated the system this well, week. Well, it is called book cheat. Yeah. What do you expect? They're cheating your little yeah. book system at Respect the end here. all the listeners yeah. are book cheaters. Once a book cheater, always a book <laughs> Damn cheater. Damn right. A <laughs> uh, bit of a cheat. Oh, but all the Harry Potter ones. I'm just... Was that a Vladimir Navikov? Did he write that? Yeah, I think he wrote that. <laughs> Still embarrassed. It's called Catching Fire. Uh, all the Harry Potter ones. I'm dyslexic and really struggle to read, but I gave the Goblet of Fire a go and I was hooked. I was sucked straight into the magical world and I'm a massive fan of it all. Thank you, Gary J. I love it. Love a bit of Harry Potts. Mm. Me too. Yeah. yeah. They're always very enjoyable. That is a fantastic... That is another example of something well-written, I believe. Mm. People of all ages keep coming back to it. I think the whole I think world. If I have a criticism of Harry Potter, it is that it does it does that that like it is a it is a lot to sustain that battle over that number of books, right? Like it's a mm. lot of books. How many oh, were there? Seven, seven, right? Mm. Where there's essentially one hero and one bad guy. Exactly, and so by like book six, seven, it does feel like she's sort of finding excuses to drag it out. A right, little to be bit like, somewhere. oh, Voldemort got, got nearly f- killed one yeah. more time, but he'll be back. Then they got to find another thing in a different place to make the. Mm. You know. I, you know, I really enjoyed the books, but if I have a criticism of Harry Potter, it didn't feel very believable. Mm. Really? I think so. Which mm. part? Which part? <laughs> I, oh. I need an example, otherwise I don't latch on to things. You couldn't fit a whole room under the stairs. <laughs> yes, I mean, that would, <laughs> that would just be child abuse. And yeah. I didn't really get past that. I yeah, kind of stopped reading know, after that. Me. I was like this. <laughs> Privet's drive? Thought... Privet? <laughs> what? <laughs> no, thank you. Uh, no, do you mean rivet? <laughs> like the great uh, ingredient in that book with the, the with that we read on this show. Oh, oh yeah, rivet, uh, uh, which was of course heart of darkness. Heart of darkness. Heart of darkness. He was obsessed with rivets. Oh, yeah. I, I know, and it was very frustrating to me as a big rivet fan to listen to you idiots not know what a rivet was. But, well, don't worry. If you go on, on my Instagram page for book cheat, I posted four or five images of rivets. You did, just so you know. Now we do. Uh, thank you to Gary J, Dennis Spring, Amy Gibbs, everyone that supports the show on BookCheat. It's very nice. And sometimes I use the money that people pledge to buy the books. So it makes Whoa, it keeps the show going. Good. Do you think it's tax, tax deductible? I think it might be. Yeah. I wouldn't try, though. Yeah, okay. I won't. Great. I won't try. Thank just, you. You're an accountant, right? Yeah, I'm, a, I'm three. Uh, but what an absolute pleasure to have two of the best in the business, Andy and Al, record... Not one, but two episodes. So you've given up a lot of your time, which I do appreciate. And uh, you give up a lot of your time every week to make people laugh with your own podcast. Two Gosh. in the think tank. It's a, but it's a joy, you know. It's we, yeah. we, we, we love it. We make ourselves laugh, Dave. And I think that's the main thing. We Damn don't, right. We don't actually want people to listen. Yeah, oh, okay. rather they don't. So, okay. so, so don't, just, don't. So, so just so you know which podcast not to listen to. Correct. It's called Two in the Think Tank. Right. That's Two in the Think Tank. And what? Why would we not listen? Because what's it about? Because it, 
We don't want to listen. Well, the reason you don't want to listen is because it's about where we come up with five comedy sketch ideas. Yes. I was there one time to witness the magic. You were there. We were Not just to witness. We talked about a casino. Yeah. It was fun. It was really fun. We had a lot of fun with you. You might have been in inappropriate casinos. Yeah, absurd. Absurd casino. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, just, I see Al now and I just think inappropriate. Sorry. Yeah, inappropriate. <laughs> I w- I mean, let's redo all of these podcasts, but instead of inappropriate, we'll just say absurd. <laughs> absurd. Oh, that's, that's absurd. absurd. Why would you love a child? Absurd. <laughs> well, uh, we can check that out. Uh, you're also on the Planet Broadcasting Network, so you can uh, check out two on the Think Tank. I highly, mm-hmm. I mean, I dislike my listeners so I want them to check out your podcast don't Thanks. you force them don't I'll you force, force them I'll force their hand no but uh and yeah. and you listeners don't you force your loved ones to listen remember we don't want listeners no the less the merrier as you say great <laughs> <laughs> but Andy Matthews Alistair Trumbly Birchall thank you so much for joining me on Book Cheat and uh, as always, we're going to say it together. And that is, thanks for listening. Books and forever. books forever. Book cheat. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. I mean, if you want. It's up to you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.